To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. This is the first five verses of Psalm 25, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, January the 17th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We're continuing our look at um, Messianic prophecies in Isaiah with Isaiah 44, verses 6 to 8 and 21 to 23. And then uh, the gospel today is, we're in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, and then Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. <clears throat> in the Isaiah passage, you know, we, we've been covering all this ground of God will send and he will redeem his people. He'll take care of them. And, and the, the entire argument is built around you can trust him, because he's from eternity and into eternity, and therefore he is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He has the power to do all things, and he is omnipresent. So he's always with us. <clears throat> and so we're going to see today that, that his people are called to trust him. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I'm the first and I'm the last. Beside me, there is no God, which is exactly the way that Jesus is introduced in the book of the Revelation, right? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And so it's the same thing here, because I'm the first and the last, and besides me, there is no God, then, then he alone can be trusted. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. So if you know, go ahead, step up and tell us. Let us know. If you think that you're all that in a bag of chips, if you think you're equal to God, then go ahead. Share with us where you got this. Let them declare what is to come, what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you're my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. In other words, if anybody in the universe knows that there's, an, uh, there's another God, well, that would be me. And there's not. You can take my word for it. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. It's a simple process, right? I mean, God, the, the, the entire claim he makes to being their God in Exodus 20 when he gives the um, Ten Commandments is based in that he is the Lord your God who took them out of Egypt, who redeemed them from their slavery in Egypt. It's exactly the same claim he makes on our lives. He has redeemed us from sin and death and therefore return to him. It's always the right time to return to him. If you've wandered away, if you have allowed other things to get in the way and, and for your um, following him to be a secondary thing or, or tertiary even, um, and, and it's just something you really just give lip service to, he's calling you today and always to return to him. And we know that his mercy is plenteous and there is redemption in him. And all we have to do is turn to him and say, I will follow you. 
Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. It's true. It is absolutely true. He will be glorified in his people one way or another. Sometimes it requires us to to go through some difficult times in order to be the people who will glorify him in all that they do. And and I'm going to say this because I I have seen a lot of this over the last year, actually two years. Um, A a lot of people have forgotten what's primary. I'm going to say it again. A lot of people have forgotten what is primary, and they have allowed themselves to be overwhelmed by covid to be overwhelmed by politics, whichever side of that, that aisle you might be on, whether whether you, you hated Donald Trump or you hate Joe Biden, whichever it is, it, it, he is king, period, end of sentence. He is on the throne. That we know. Uh, it, it's, it, it's become a very frustrating thing, frankly, to, to talk to deal and deal with, with too many Christians who have allowed themselves to be completely overwhelmed by these other issues and spent almost all their time one way or another dealing with and thinking about these issues, and they have laid the important thing to the side. In the gospel today, Jesus has, has, we know, we've already seen that he called James and John and Peter and Andrew and Levi slash Matthew, and now what we get is Jesus withdraws with his disciples to the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd followed. And this is uh, early on now. We're in Mark 3, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. So this crowd encompasses pretty much everyone in Israel, but then also those on the other side of the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. So we have a mixed multitude, which is exactly what that group was called that came out of Egypt. They were called a mixed multitude, and the Hebrew term for that is the Erev Rav. And and it's interesting, in certain parts of Judaism, they blame the Erev Rav for everything that goes wrong in the wilderness. Um, that, that it, no, 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 it wasn't the Jews. That It was these other people who had a commitment to Egypt and, and weren't prepared for the hardship of the wilderness, and they're the ones that says that they they were saying, oh, don't you remember how good we had it in Egypt? We had the food, we had everything we wanted, blah, blah, blah. And so they say that they're the ones who who encouraged Aaron to make the the golden calf, and they're the ones who caused all the problems. And so here we see Jesus with a mixed multitude who have come after him as well because of what they had heard about him. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So if I can just touch the hem of his garment, and and like the woman with the issue of blood did, and I've, I've mentioned this when we looked at that last, I'm positive, but I'll remind you again, the fringe of the garment... There, there was a, a fringe that was sewn onto the garment, and it was thought that that's the power in the person came, could be transmitted through that fringe. And so you would touch the fringe of his garment in order to access the power of the man. So they saw power in Jesus, and they came to touch the hem of his garment in order that they could get some of that power for themselves. 
whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So their first thing that they would would, would attempt to do is to, to declare who he was. If you could declare who someone is, in other words, you sort of name them, then it gives you a certain amount of power over that person. And, and Jesus didn't allow them to do that. He spoke and used his power against them by ordering them not to make him known. He, he didn't want people to accept the testimony of a demon. He wanted them to, to accept the testimony that, of, about his teaching and about the things that he was doing. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came up to him. And this, this would be the Sermon on the Mount. That's, that's the same setting here for that. And you see this same setting in Luke 4 as well, when Jesus' uh, is, is, timing is different there, because he's calling Peter in that in that event um, where he comes down and and says, hey, I want to get in the boat and I want to push out just a little bit so I can get some separation here. And that's when he tells him to let down his nets for a catch afterwards. And so we see that same scene here where he's got this, there's a boat so that they can get away. And now he takes them. He's now calling the 12 to himself and he goes up on the mountain and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. And what does the word apostle mean? The word apostle just simply means that they are um, they're, they're those who are sent with a message. So that's the, the uh, definition of the word apostle is one who is sent with a message. And a disciple, the Greek word there is mathetes, and the, the, the word mathetes that, that we translate as disciple just means a learner, someone who is learning. Is what that means, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He, that's a huge issue, right? Jesus not only had the power to do that himself, he had the ability then to, to share that power, to transmit it to the apostles. And the message, what is the message that they're sending, that they're sent out with, and that that they need that power. And why do they need that power? Well, the message is, is is that the kingdom of God, the only true God, as we saw in Isaiah, has come upon you, and it comes upon you with power, a demonstration of the truth. And so when it casts out a demon, then what's happening is is that it's saying that, that the, the power that's been given to me is greater than the power this demon has. And so we see that same thing in the, in the book of the Acts, and in, in one of the funniest places is, is with the seven sons of Sceva, who, who have not been given that power, but what they want to do is they want to use the power without submitting to the power. And so they, they then proclaim you know, that they're going to do this healing or casting out of a demon based on this Jesus who Paul talks about, and the demon rounds on him and says, oh, you don't even know him. It's a second hand, and that's not good enough, and so the demons rout them in that place. But this, this is a demonstration of earth, earthly and spiritual powers that are being overthrown, that the kingdom of God is being expanded all over the earth. Wherever Jesus goes and wherever his apostles and disciples go, proclaiming the kingdom, is ground that's taken. 
for the kingdom of God until ultimately he will come and rout all those powers, and then he will put them in the place where they're not allowed out anymore, and their power and their say will be done. So he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus has now called that group of people together, and, and they believed in him at that point, but what did they believe? That's always the question, because they're always growing in belief, and they're growing in faith in the same ways that we're intended to, because knowing more grows our faith. So it, we're not intended to, to, oh, okay, I got it. You know, sort of the the first little bit that we know. Oh, I got it. Jesus is the Son of God. He was crucified on the cross. He came back to life in three days, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Yes, but to understand the world around us and to understand who he is requires us not just to hear preaching, but also teaching and study. Those things are always important because we always need to be growing in our knowledge of him because we can then grow in our service to him and we can also grow in our worship of him and our love of him. That's intended to always continue throughout our lives. He says, Paul says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, you've been called, and we've agreed for that very thing, but walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. In other words, you represent, as you're an apostle because you too have been sent with a message, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. In other words, glorify him in your life. Don't let your witness of your life become a hindrance to the proclamation of the gospel. And he says, Here's the, here is the way to walk in the manner worthy of the calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the, not only the way each of us walk, but the way that we walk together and the way that we live together, the, the, the witness of our fellowship is important. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's an important thing. We are called to be one, but we don't lose our distinctiveness in that. Each of us is called and given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. But then we come together as the body of Christ because none of us is sufficient in himself or herself. And so when we bring our gifts together, then we're to value all the gifts. We're not to look and say, well, well, that person's gift is less than my gift or a lesser value. And what we've tended to do is we've exalted certain gifts in the church. The gift of preaching and proclamation and the gift of leading worship have become about the only gifts that even seem to matter. And the rest of us have the gift of congregating, which you'd have a very difficult time finding anywhere in Scripture. No, we're all called and given a work to do and the gifts with which to do it. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, 
to all of us. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? So, so there's a place that's above the earth, is all Paul's saying here, that Jesus ascended. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, you can look at that and, and come to an odd conclusion that this is some sort of a three-tiered kind of a universe. There's the heavens, the earth, and then there's the stuff that's below the earth. But that's not what Paul's attempting to communicate, because the Lord fills all things. And so it's not a hierarchical kind of an issue that we should think of in these three-tiered universe sort of a way, and it's largely because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. And so, but, but there's an ascension and a descension in human terms and that, would, that would indicate, let's say, that, that the descent to earth is, it, it, there's, a, there's an impurity. So the best place to be is with the Father. And the, the movement from the Father to us is a descent, in terms of there's corruption here versus purity and perfection there. So that would be the best way to look at ascend and descend. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, what are known sometimes as the fivefold ministry of the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the goal and the purpose of those particular uh, fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what he's saying is, is that, that the goal of the church and the use of those gifts and talents, that fivefold ministry, the purpose of that is to raise people up in knowledge and understanding and wisdom, to make sure that they have the tools they need to have discernment so that they're not fools and they're not taken uh, captive and led astray because they know the truth. And so that's the point of the fivefold ministry is to make sure God's people aren't led astray. But ultimately, that comes down to us, to our passion and our commitment to knowing these things, to knowing the Word of God. And it's important that we take responsibility for ourselves and to grow up into mature manhood. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he, he gave the twelve a ministry of apostleship to go and evangelize, he, and then they chose these deacons to, to do other tasks. But the church, and when Paul talks, for instance, to Peter and to Titus, he talks to them about the kind of people who should be overseers in the church. And the purpose is always the same thing that he gives here in Ephesus, and that is to raise people up, to grow them to maturity in Christ, so that they might become different people, and they might be a people who can't be swayed by false teaching. It's always important for us to to get the basics and then move from the basics 
further and further into fullness of knowledge. We're never going to get there because God is um, unsearchable in all his ways. But that doesn't mean we don't search, we don't pray, we don't study. Because what we should want more than anything else in life is to know the character of the one who has redeemed us.